It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. a few familiar voices and for those of you that can date a little bit farther back in your watching career you'll notice that some of these voices are actually former players so today we're going to talk to one of those former players and it's Stephen Warnock who had a career playing for a number of Premier League sides, Championship sides, League One sides, you name it. So Stephen I want to thank you for coming on and uh, how you doing today? I'm very good thank you yeah um, just getting prepared for a, a game tonight actually. Yeah Stephen so I want to ask you about your playing career because Obviously, people might know you now from your commentary career, but obviously going back a couple of years, you only retired in 2018, which, relatively speaking, is not long ago at all. So your playing career, can you just kind of tell me uh, some of the biggest moments, some of the highlights, and some of the teams you had the honor to play for? Uh, Yes, so I grew up playing for Liverpool's Academy. Uh, Started there at the age of 10, and then sort of made my breakthrough at the Academy uh, for the first team around about the age of 21. Uh, I had a series of injuries from the age of 16 to 19 where I broke my leg three times. Um, so I was probably a little bit of a, a late developer into into the Liverpool team because of because of uh, injuries. Um, I left Liverpool at the age of 24, signed for Blackburn Rovers, who were then in the Premier League. Played a couple of seasons with them in the Premier League and then moved on to Aston Villa. Um, when I was at Aston Villa... Uh, I was then called up um, to the England squad to represent England at the World Cup and went to the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Uh, And then I went on to to play for teams in the Championship, Leeds, Derby County, uh, Wigan Athletic. And yeah, like you say, finished my career four years ago and uh, sort of started to shift into, into the media world now. So what started that shift into the media world? Was it something that you always thought when you were playing, I want to do this after I, I finish my playing career? Or was it such something that happened in 2018? You said, well, I think I have this opportunity. Might as well take it. Well, Liverpool have their own channel, Liverpool Football Club, have LFC TV. And I'd worked on that for a number of years, covering academy games, doing some first team games. But round about, um, probably, probably from the age of 30 onwards, and I was just doing bits and pieces in the background, but I never thought anything really about it. And then the last season I was in my career, um, I got a phone call from the BBC asking me if I'd like to go on and do a radio show. Uh, this was on a Tuesday night. Finished the radio show. Would you like to come back on Thursday? I was like, yeah, okay. Went back on Thursday. 
we've got a TV show on Sunday morning. Can you make Sunday morning? And I was like, yeah, I can do Sunday morning. Um, and they, they just started giving me more and more work. And then I was in the car one day picking my girls up from school and I got a phone call from uh, one of the bosses at the BBC and he just said, you're at that stage now where do you know what you're doing next season? Are you thinking of retiring? Are you going to carry on playing? Um, and I was like, well, how come? What's What are you thinking? And he just basically said, listen, we really, really like you here at the BBC and we've got plenty of work for you. We think we can use you a lot. Um, and if you were to uh, to retire, then we'd love to have you on board. And then literally in the car, I just went, okay, I'll retire. <laughs> and it just came at me like that because my thought process was, well, someone else will take this opportunity if I wait another year. And this is an opportunity for me then to, to, to grab it with both hands, to have something to concentrate on. I think when a lot of players retire and come out the game, they don't know what the next step is because they don't tend to think about it too much. They try and concentrate so much on the uh, playing career that they forget to think about the long term. Um, and then off the back of that, I just started getting more and more phone calls because um, the, the BBC, as we know, is, is one of the most recognised names worldwide. Um, your, your voice is getting heard, you're getting seen by so many different outlets. And yeah, it just sort of uh, snowballed from there. So in terms of switching from a playing career to being in the media industry, how easy of a transition is that for you? I mean, obviously you're a former player, so you have the expertise and the knowledge of the game, but obviously the preparation, the actual things you're doing are clearly different. So just how easy of a transition was that for you? Um, it, it was easy because I'd done some previous work, as I said earlier on, for LFC TV. So I knew the background of it, but to actually understand going from radio to TV and how the co-commentaries work on things like that, when a replay comes in, what the directors are looking for, listening to directors in your ear while you're talking. These were all new things. And a lot of the time you don't get the training, you just put on the spot and ask to do something. So they're things that I've had to, to work at. I think the transition inside of coming out the game um, to go into the media world, I think just leaving the game in general is very difficult for players. They're used to a routine, they're used to, to a structure. And I'm freelance, so I could get a phone call next week saying we want you, or it could go dry for a couple of weeks. It could be chaos for two or three weeks. And this is the, the nature of the job. I think the long-term goal is to try and set up contracts elsewhere so you can you know what you're getting stability-wise. And I think that's where the structure comes into it with football. But now I had some real tough times when I when I finished playing because of that lack of understanding of where I where I needed to be, what I needed to do. Um, but from the football side and the, the, the media side, that is being probably a breath of fresh air to me. Um, many people have asked me, does it replace playing? It doesn't, but I actually enjoy it more. Um, I love being in and around the games. I love being able to voice my opinions on things. People won't agree with them. People will agree with them. That's just the, the everyday life. But I, I absolutely love what I do now. I am very passionate about it. I want to be the best at what I do. I try and work as hard as I can to, to be the best. And, and hopefully I'm on the right path to, to becoming um, or, or maintaining being in the, in the broadcasting world for many years to come. Yeah, Stephen, I think it's funny you talk about opinions, and I've had the honor to talk to a number of uh, former players that now work in that commentary side, and something that I'm always curious about is how they avoid biases, and you already talked about your, your playing career and how you played for Premier League sides, you know, Liverpool, Aston Villa, and Leeds, who at the time was not in the Premier League, but 
Uh, these are Premier League sides that we all know and you commentate today. So when you're calling these games that involve these teams, is it hard for you at all to avoid biases or, you know, try to talk in favor of one player, or one team over another? Um, yeah, you've got to you've got to stop that. You've got to try and cut that out completely. That's one thing I've learned straight away. Um, if anything, I tend to lean the other way, um, just so people don't have that opinion of me. For instance, tonight's game is Aston Villa versus Leeds, two of my former clubs. Well, I can't sway one way or the other. I have mm -hmm. to be impartial. So I just have to read the game as I see it, um, answer the questions that the commentator asks me with my opinion and, and what I think is the right thing at that time. Um, nothing will, will swing me either way. I've said many a thing about ex-teammates, ex-clubs as well, where they've probably got a little bit frustrated at me. But for anyone who is... Uh, working in the industry or, or playing the game still and people have an opinion, that's what they have to always remen remember is that it is just an opinion. It doesn't mean that everyone else agrees with me and that's what is set in stone. And I think that's one of the most important things. I've got friends who are playing now who say, just call it as it is. If I'm having a bad game, tell it as it is. Don't try and help me out and try and sugarcoat it because in the end, in the end, everyone will see through you, you'll end up losing your job and, and that's the worst thing that can happen. So Stephen, obviously a big part of playing and commentating is preparation. I can only speak from my brief experience playing. I stopped playing when I was pretty much 17 years old, but still up to that time, preparation was a big thing going into games and I can imagine that's only uh, exaggerated when you're playing in uh, major games in the Premier League or as you say, you did uh, get to go to the World Cup with England. So. But at the same time, when you're in the media industry, preparation is equally important, I think. So in terms of how you prepare for a game, how, are there any similarities between what you do as a commentator versus what you did as a player, or are they totally separate? Uh, no, they are separate. They're, they're completely separate because you're trying to learn about um, the team's history, um, what's happened in the last five or ten games, who's been the goal scorers, who's been the most creative players. Uh, I go on fans' forums to see what the fans are thinking about the team, who they who they like, who they don't like, uh, what their opinions are of the managers, the, the formations, what they're playing. So there's many sort of facets that come into it that you've got to be across. I think one thing I used to get a little bit caught up on, and I think a lot of people do get caught up on this, is, is stats. A lot of people are driven by stats. And I used to look at a lot of stats and I'd bring them into the game. And uh, one of the commentators I was working with said, why do you keep on bringing these all the time? So I was like, well, in case I need them. And he said, that's my job. My job's to hand out the stats. Your job's to give us an insight as to what's happening on the pitch, why the players are doing it, how it's happening, what formations are changing, why they're changing those formations. And suddenly it changed the way I commentated. It changed the way I prepared for things because you have to adapt within a game. You have to be able to understand what's happening in that game. You have to be able to call it straight away so that people see it. Um, and I think that's the, the the great thing about turning up to every game is that every game is different. You you have a, a basic formation of how you think teams are going to play, the structure of the team, but the managers will adapt during the game and you've got to be able to adapt as well to them, them system changes throughout the game. Co-commentators, they don't have to be former players, but you talk about these insights. Just being a, a former defender and being on the field, does that give you some sort of advantage in terms of what you see on the field from a commentator's perspective and in terms of changing formations, in terms of what players are doing? Yeah, I, th I think it does. Um, what I would say is that um, some people don't see it, some ex-players don't see it, and that's why they don't work in the media. Um, 
I perhaps don't see things that coaches see when they're coaching players at the moment because I'm not in that industry day in, day out. So um, it's a skill set and, and trying to push that skill set across onto, onto camera or as, as a voice that you can hear and trying to help people understand why certain things are happening on the pitch, how to make that simple so that the, the naked eye that might not see that then starts to look for something different on the football pitch or the soccer pitch as to, to why things are happening. So I think that's uh, it's something that is, is hugely important. But when you look at most of the commentators that we have, um, most of the commentators haven't played the game. They've studied it, they watch it as much as possible and they do understand it. But they all say the same thing is, is that you see something different that we don't see. And it's so interesting that, that we both have different uh, views of the game and how it is. So you've obviously had a pretty remarkable career, a long career as a playing in your playing days. So even though your media industry or media career, I should say, is uh, relatively brief, uh, I'm curious as to what some of your highlights are from uh, calling games, whether that be for TV or radio. Um, well, as soon as I retired and I got the, the job at the BBC, um, we had the, the World Cup in Russia and I was fortunate enough to call a, a few games, um, which were just over um, in-house studios. So it was off TV monitors and things like that. But that went out on, on, on radio, which was huge. It was it's such a, a buzz to be part of that. Um, I've now got a, a regular show on a Monday morning uh, on Sky Sports where I, I do analysis of teams and, and talk about the tactics that they might in, uh, have employed at the weekend. And, and they're, they're, I mean, that's such a, a buzz for me. I think the highlight would have to be, though, was... Um, Probably, well, there's probably two highlights. One was calling my first international game um, on the radio, an England game versus Romania. To, to, to call a national team and to, to be able to, to talk through a game is just such a, a great a, sort of um, a highlight for me. But then I went to, um, to Qatar for the World Club Cup uh, where Liverpool play for Mengo. And um, that was just unbelievable it was for bbc tv it was a huge job for me a huge opportunity um and obviously because i i grew up a liverpool fan i'm an ex-liverpool player to be involved in a game of such magnitude i think we had over 13 million viewers that tuned in for that game um which is probably small compared to american audiences but for for us guys that's that's a big audience for for the uk and um yeah that was that was a real real highlight for me Something I find interesting, especially for the United States broadcasters, a lot of them have to call games, uh, you know, in studios rather than flying over to England to call these Premier League games. So you already talk about your experience calling games in-house, but I think it's much easier for someone in Europe and in England to call these games from the stadiums. So how much of a benefit is it to be at a stadium as a commentator compared to calling games from a monitor or just a couple of screens? Well, the great thing is, obviously, we've had the pandemic recently, but um, before the pandemic and, and now, you get a feel from the fans as to what the game's about. What the, When you walk, you park up and you walk across the car park, when you walk into the stadium, you get people stopping, you're talking to them, you engage with them, and you, you get that feel of what they, what they expect from the game. Then you get the atmosphere, you're wondering how the players are playing under that pressure, so you can sense that straight away and get that feeling. Also, you can see what's going on all over the pitch rather than just what you see on the TV. We get to see every part of it so we can look at formations. We can see the structure of the teams, which is hugely beneficial for, for the commentators and co-commentators. 
Um, I've called a few MLS games um, myself already from England, from a TV monitor, and it's so difficult. Um, you are, you, you sometimes the pitches aren't great. You don't get to see uh, the players very clearly, the numbers on the back, the movements that they're making. But when you're in that ground, you get that sense of you can pick up on people. You can see them in the warm-up. So when you talked about preparation and what you're looking for, often we look at player sort of movements, patterns, what boots they're wearing, colour of hair. These are all little notes that will go down next to that player. So if you are struggling to reference them, look down straight away, pick out orange boots, light hair, you know who it is. These are little things that really easy to pick up in, in, a, in a stadium, but very tough to pick up over a monitor. So, Stephen, looking uh, down the road a little bit, you talk about earlier right now you're freelance and obviously the end goal is locking in, you know, a longer term deal. So how do you kind of go about that in terms of getting a deal? Is just, uh, like you say, being recognized more and, you know, calling more games or are there other paths you might uh, have to take? Yeah, I think that's that's it, really. Uh, keep on honing in on your skills. Keep working hard. Keep calling games as well as you can. Keep on improving constantly. My part of my homework is watching games and listening to co-commentators, uh, how they react to it and how I would react to it. So often I pause it as a goal's gone in. I'll react to it myself and what I think should be said. Then I'll listen to the co-commentator who I like or who I'm who I'm listening to, and I'll I'll, I'll take notes from them to see what they've picked up on, why they've picked up on it. They're all little skills that I try and pick up. Um, but long term. Yeah, you'd, you'd love a contract uh, with a company that are going to recognise your your work and what you're capable of doing. Know that you've got a certain amount of work coming each week, each month, and and that's the long term. Now, uh, in terms of in terms of oh, sorry. preference, sorry, I just, I just like popped in my head really quickly. It's just, uh, you know, you've called Club World Cup games, and obviously people in the United States might know you from your Premier League calling games. So if you had a preference, would you prefer to stay in the club side and call uh, games in England, or would you want to expand and look at uh, Europe as a whole? Um, I, th I think the big thing for me is just that it would be not easier, but I'm passionate about the Premier League. Um, I understand it. I've played in it. I can give my opinion on it because I know what it's about. I know the ins and outs of it. But... Um, European football. Uh, I do work on the Champions League, which is great. I love the, love covering the Champions League because um, it's the best teams, and I get to cover the best teams in, in world football. So for me, it's it's a mixture of the Premier League and and the Champions League. Uh, I am learning Spanish, so in the long term goal, would it be to cover some games out there to work in? Uh, in Europe and, and do some work for, for Spanish TV and things like that. Who knows? Um, I think short term, you've got to look short term to to make sure that the long term looks after itself as well. Do you think that's part of the fun of it? You talk about how much you enjoy being a commentator. Do you think that's part of the fun is having the opportunity, you know, learn a new language and go work for a different kind of uh, whole league in general? Can that just be like a, a whole different experience for you to enjoy? Oh, 100%. Um, I think one of my... One of my long-term goals is to, to actually head out to America and, and be a broadcaster out there uh, covering the Premier League. I think that's something that, that excites me. Um, I think the, the great thing about football, soccer, is that it's worldwide. The opportunities are endless. Um, I've actually just been out in, in, the, in the States myself, uh, working for a, a, an academy out there, covering a soccer tournament. And I just got a buzz from it. I just loved it because... We're, we've all got the same passion. We all love football. We all love soccer. We all love football. We all want to see it played in the, in the right way. Um, 
I'm just very fortunate that I get to call games and some of the best games in the world. Well, Steve, that seems like a pretty good place to wrap up. And who knows, a couple of years down the road, might uh, look forward to watching you on some of the uh, American broadcasters here. Fingers crossed. That'd be lovely. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate yeah, appreciate it. that, Steve. Have a good one. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.